0: What's up, Internet, and welcome to the Gadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardawar, and I'm joined by senior mobile editor Chris Velasco.
2: Hey, Devendra, how's it going?
0: Hey, Chris. And uh, yeah, we we kicked Sherlyn out uh, for this week because she's on vacation, and I'm She's want her taking to take
2: a, a much needed break. My goodness. Oh, man.
0: And I'm sure Sherlyn is just like in her room staring at solitaire or something. So. Bless her, Lynn. Everybody send her your relaxation vibes and wishes and everything. This week, we're going to be talking about the iPhone 12 and Chris's iPhone 12 and 12 Pro review. Um, We're going to dive into the crazy Among Us stream by AOC and Ilan Omar and kind of what that means for the future of democracy. People playing, you know, murder games online. That's fun. And uh, we'll chat a bit about the death of Quibi, which sort of happened as we were planning this episode. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes in particular. That's very useful. And uh, if you have any questions or if you want to just chat with us, you can drop us an email at podcast.engadget.com. We typically record live around 10 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, so you can join us there for some live Q&A, and we'll show off some gadgets when we have them. Okay, Chris, I'm putting the ball in your court here. I've read oh, your iPhone God. twelve review, the I'm iPhone sorry. twelve pro I'm sorry review. That you had to yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I was very excited going into reading your reviews, and I think you did a good job of like conveying what's new and what's different, but also the fact that th- this isn't really a huge change from last year, right? Like, what are your major takeaways from these phones?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that time. As I sort of note in the introduction to my review, like, on paper, this seems like a really momentous yeah. time for Apple, right? 5G! They've, all the they've stuff. got 5G, they've, like, sort of normalized the iPhone design across Basically, all of their devices, you've got really incredible new performance with this new f- the, the A14 Bionic chip based on that five nanometer process. Like this seems like a big year for <laughs> Apple. But after using the phones, I, I really walked away with two ultimate conclusions: one mm-hmm. that the iPhone 12 and the 12 Pro are really not that different, which is great right. if you're shopping on a budget because the 12 is more than enough. And that just generally, if you have an iPhone last year and maybe even from the last two years, you mm-hmm. there's no huge rush to get out there, right. And upgrade.
0: Right. I have an 11 pro right now, and i'm I'm looking at this and I see no reason other than maybe the slightly bigger screen, but the camera, nothing really has changed other other than the processing side of it. same lenses, same like same everything, otherwise, right?
2: So we've got LiDAR in this year's Pro, yeah. which I think is really interesting. And to back up, this is a component that was introduced in the 2020 iPad Pro. And when it was announced, I think just about everyone who heard about it was like, what do
0: what you why? doing? Why? On a tablet. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Right? Like augmented reality, if it tends to happen at all, tends to happen on phone. So why start here? But mm-hmm. I mean, I think that ties really nicely into what we sort of know Apple really cares about, augmented reality. Uh, there have been rumors for years that Apple has been investing really heavily in it. They've had ARKit, this really comprehensive set of developer tools to mm-hmm. let people create augmented reality experience. That's been around for three years. They use augmented reality really extensively around their campus, the Visitor Center, the Steve Jobs Theater. Yeah. There's constant rumors that AR goggles are like a thing for Apple. So clearly sure. – On some level, they see their trajectory as a device maker as relying Mm -hmm. very heavily on that. And LiDAR...
0: They've been been hiding AR in things all over the place, too. Like, I think in the event event invites, we found little cool AR objects, like, cool things like that. So... For sure. It's weird. Yeah. They're they're leaving stuff all all the way around. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But... The thing to keep in mind about Apple is that they mm-hmm. they have just such incredible reach that something like LiDAR, which stands for Light Detection and Ranging, long story short, it's really fast at sort of identifying and judging how much space you have around you. Right. Uh, something like that, if you have the ability to just kind of force that on people and by mm-hmm. extension, force that on developers, give them that tool to work with, this really kind of feels like a watershed moment for Apple and AR. But for now, it's hard right. to tell what kind of impact will have because i don't know there's like do, do you use augmented reality apps at all like i, sometimes, I don't sometimes
0: if i'm looking at like furniture from like ikea and stuff and any any like amazon often has this in best buy where you can view a 3d model of something in your living room just to get a sense of the size and the scale um i've used that and it's worked pretty well but i'm sure lidar would make it even better right
2: that's the idea right mm-hmm. like there in my experience at least it's it's mostly just faster at identifying the space. You know, It yep. whether or not the things that you like hang on your virtual walls or stick <laughs> on your virtual floor, whether or not those persist better really kind of boils down to how good the developers are. But I mean, at least in theory, what's nice about the LiDAR here is that Yes, there are tools for developers to to tap into that new array specifically. But mm-hmm. even if you don't, even if you're just running on pure, like, standard Apple AR kit, you get to – your app benefits from that light Like, it just works better without right, you having right. to do anything.
0: That's kind of cool. And I could see it being useful for something like maybe eventually Pokemon Go or Minecraft Earth where you are, you know, traveling the world and looking for actual virtual objects in spaces. Like – that could be great, uh, although I wonder like how that'll compare to like the Android versions of these apps like we're, we're at a weird point now where some of these things have to be standardized because AR and AR understanding needs to be like the new HTTP, right like right. It, everybody needs to be on the same ball of how they do it. Um, I think what really struck me about your review V is that your the iPhone 12 just seems solid and it seems solid in a way that the IL 11 did like it didn't last year. It seems like there is less of a, you know, real difference between the 12 and the Pro this year.
2: Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I, I it's, a, it's a weird thing to kind of keep in mind as I went into this review, because I, mm-hmm. I really liked the iPhone 12. It was one of those devices where you knew you were getting some compromises, but like at the end of the day, you still got great performance. You got, you know, exceptional battery life, which is unfortunately no longer the case here. Huh. Um, okay. The thing about the, the 12 is that, yeah, there are the, the differences between that and the Pro are so minute most of the time. I mean, realistically, the big omission for the 12 compared to the 12 Pro is that you don't get that telephoto camera, you don't get that LiDAR, right. which is fine. I mean, like I, I will always take a more flexible camera setup when it's offered to me. Is the
0: ultra-wide more useful to you than the telephoto?
2: Always, always, yeah. because the, the way I think about it is if I have the option of moving forward to just Mm -hmm. like get a better vantage point of a subject i will do that sure with ultra wide that's that's not like you can never move around enough to capture the same amount of space as an ultra wide can so yeah in terms of say
0: ultra wide is super useful for like especially kids and tight spaces because we just (laughs) bought we bought my daughter a, a tiny little playhouse to sit on our uh like in our backyard so that's for her birthday but when she's in there if I don't have an ultra wide lens or anything like I can't capture her in the space and that's that's annoying and I think parents would appreciate that flexibility yeah
2: Actually really quick happy birthday yeah. Sophia thank you
0: yeah, like she's great she's doing great she had a birthday in the park I wish that the world was not on fire so she could actually have friends over but she really enjoyed it we got her a Totoro cake and she loved it
2: Ooh you've you've introduced her to the Ghibli canon very early Oh yeah, early, oh, yeah I have like she she <laughs> is on, board, on, on Totoro Instagram.
0: Kiki Um, Nausicaa, which can be a little scary sometimes in Castle in the Sky, but you know, she's doing well, but basically ultra wides, I think that's what parents want because as much as the telephoto lens is useful, um, it's sometimes a little slow, especially if you're doing portrait mode, like kids move fast and they move around a lot. So you're Mm -hmm. not going to get the most out of that telephoto as you would with the ultra wide, I'd say.
2: No, for sure. Practically speaking, you get a Mm -hmm. good wide camera, which the 12 and 12 pro have like the standard 12 megapixel wide camera is Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, If you get one of those, you get the ultra wide, you're covered, I would say. I mean, and this is a number I'm kind of pulling out of nowhere, but (laughs) like 95% of situations, you are good. The telephoto is, it's nice to have, but I can count on, you know, two hands the number of times I've taken a telephoto photo and just really, (laughs) really liked what I came away with.
0: Yeah. I like the flexibility, especially for video. Like I like hopping between the different, uh, the different sizes of lenses. And also again, for baby stuff, like sometimes it's good to follow follow my daughter and, like, um, do the Zoom when she's a little further away and then come in closer. But, yeah, I don't think – and not everybody needs it. And you still get good portrait mode, right, because you still have two lenses on this on the 12th. <laughs>
2: The portrait mode is quite good. I will say that mm-hmm. portrait mode can be a little better on the iPhone 12 Pro and that's I'm because yeah. because of the lidar actually. Yeah. So when you're in low light situations the lidar Apple wouldn't confirm whether the lidar is trying to do its thing all the time or uh-huh. if the phone can tell it's dark and then turns on <laughs> lidar, which is a fine distinction to be sure, sure but sure. like would be nice to know. Turns out when you're shooting in low light especially with portrait mode it uses the lidar to like mm-hmm. quickly shoot out light and get a sense of where the person is and where the background is. So Mm -hmm. you do get slightly better night mode portraits, which is new this year on the iPhone 12 Pro. I tried it with our social media kit. I guess he's the head of social media, but I call (laughs) him the social media kid, Mike Morris. Uh Uh, We got some really fresh shots that I wish I could show you, but probably should have mentioned that beforehand. (laughs)
0: <laughs> there, there is that one thing too is that the addition of lidar and you know all these lenses we're seeing in other smartphone cameras now what the gulf between you know a point and shoot camera or even like a small mirrorless camera and the smartphone camera seems really to be it's being erased in a way and even a good mirrorless will not have some of these features right like in some cases you're better off taking photos with your smartphone especially when it comes to low light right
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely something we've seen happen over the last few years, the The idea of computational photography, right? Yeah, Where yeah. if you buy, you know, some, something nice, like a Sony, I don't know, like a 6500, whatever, like the nice sort of entry level <laughs> mirrorless camera is now. You buy one of those, and you can get great lenses for it, and it's smart enough to do autofocusing and tracking and all of that stuff really well. But there's a limit to the amount of processing you can put right. between that lens and that sensor right. and what you see.
0: And, and you it, need to know how to work it, too, right? Like That's course. the thing, whereas if it's like sunset or the lighting is weird or it's really dark and there's a bright element and you're trying to capture it all with these cameras, you kind of need to know what you're doing. And even the auto modes don't, aren't that smart about it, whereas – with a phone, you just point it, and most phones, a Pixel phone, the iPhone 12, will just get that shot in a much better way, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mm-hmm. mean, the smartphones and the iPhone in particular this year is yeah. the – I mean, they've replaced point-and-shoot cameras. I don't think that's a surprise yeah. to anyone. But just when you think about the amount of processing power that sits between that camera and your screen, like, they're, you're capable of getting photos with no effort on your part mm-hmm. that look so much better. They, they would have taken <laughs> – considerable setup had you used an SLR or a mirrorless camera, which is Mm -hmm. really cool. But at the same time, there's there's a question of, you know, artistry versus just having something offered to you. I I don't want to like swing too hard in the wrong direction, but I reviewed the... (laughs) xperia 1 mark 2 earlier this year which has a crazy camera sensor and a bunch of pro modes and it's legitimately not the easiest thing to use <laughs> but i do love some of the photos i took with that phone more than i do the iphone 12 because i feel yeah. like i earned those photos mm-hmm.
0: yeah i feel that it's the difference between like instant photography versus like you know professional and manual stuff where you're really choosing your film and dialing in your settings and everything um anything design-wise you want to call out from these phones V because I do like the look of them. I like that you and I have both talked about this. <laughs> the iPhone 5 design, like that super the thin, best. flat edge. To me that was like a great that was a good case before all this other stuff that followed and we're kind of back there now and I'm digging it. I think it's a good look for these phones.
2: I'm a huge fan. I mean mm-hmm. we you and I have talked about this a lot. We are in the same boat. This What I like about this phone in terms of design is that it feels very modern. It's obviously inspired to some extent by the iPad Pro redesign, but it does have sort of a nostalgia kick to it. Like, I, I do really feel like I'm, I'm picking up like the best phone that I used when I was a little bit younger, uh, just sort of <laughs> updated for today, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool. I, I should point out a couple other things with respect to design. First off, the designs, with aside from like the camera and the materials used, are basically identical. If you buy one of Apple's iPhone 12 cases, it works for the iPhone 12 Pro and vice versa. Like okay. there's they've, they've standardized that in a way that seems to make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. We'll kind of see how that goes. That
0: wasn't true last year, right? Like last year, the eleven oh, felt no. cheaper in a way. Yeah,
2: I'm really glad you brought that up because yeah. the iPhone 11, in so many ways, was a was a step down from the flagship phone of that year, and that was fine mm-hmm. because you were getting mm-hmm. it for less money. It, it was so the iPhone XR, I believe, launched for like 750. The iPhone 11 was 700 to start, so you were right, getting it for right. less money, but you got the great performance. You got a so-so screen and kind of a chunky body, but you were okay with it because it was a new phone that ran well. Mm-hmm. This year, because they've sort of standardized the design across both the 12 and the 12 Pro, you just don't get some of the benefits that come with that chunkier design, like that bigger battery.
0: Sure, sure, sure. But you, just, you get OLED now, you get an OLED screen, you get, uh, I think, a more sturdy looking design than the I 11 think so. last year
2: yeah so this is this mm-hmm. is a huge matter of taste I I really <laughs> prefer how like thin and light this thing is now but mm-hmm. uh our security guy remember security guy uh, Jose yeah. at the office mm-hmm. so I was shooting at some photos and video at the office and he came out and wanted to sort of catch up because it's been a mm-hmm. while and uh, I showed him and he's an iPhone 11 guy and he picks it up and he's like you know what man this is really nice the screen's beautiful I really yeah. like this iPhone 11 feels more premium because it's got that heft to it. And, I, yeah. and I'm and i sure he's not the only person who feels that way. So there is yeah. uh, a distinct difference in palpability. Like our social media guy, Mike, also mm-hmm. sort of commented, is this, is this thing made of plastic? Like there, <laughs> there is a real gulf there that I think a lot of people who liked the 11 because it had that sort of weightiness to it, sure. you're not going to get that here. And that might be a little disappointing
0: you know so the 12 is aluminum and the 12 pro is steel is that how it works? yes yeah, okay. yeah yeah so that's uh, that's kind of a big shift there too um have you played with the 12 mini yet because for me that's the most interesting new phone they're releasing um and also because that because that is starting at 700 bucks they pushed up the price of the 12 right so the 12 is now starting at like Eight hundred bu- bucks. Eight hundred or yeah. eight
2: thirty, depending, depending on yeah. where you buy it from. And I've still, by the way, not gotten an actual <laughs> valid answer yep. from anyone about why that thing costs more. Some there's
0: some weird deals going on between all the cellular
2: providers, and oh yeah, I don't, there's some I backdoor stuff up. happening here. Yeah. yeah uh, sure. The the twelve mini is no, we've not tested that yet. Okay. I uh, I'm looking forward to it just because I there's there's been over the years such a dearth of really good yes. small phones right yes. like yeah. some of the Xperias were tiny and those were nice arguably like the Pixel Five is pretty small even though it has a six inch display it's in like the same general size ballpark as the iPhone 12 but mm-hmm. I, I can't think of a great small <laughs> the Palm I guess if you're right. a sadist no. and like don't well, care about your it life it used to
0: be so even with what they did with the SE two like small phones usually meant a step down it meant budget it meant cheap like cheaper hardware do you have a sense of how much smaller the 12 is compared to the 12 mini is compared to the 12
2: so i'm not off the top mm -hmm. of my head but i do know that roughly speaking we've Mm -hmm. if you sort of pull out all of the recent iPhones. The iPhone 12 mini is bigger than the original iPhone SE, which is based on the iPhone five design and okay. smaller, I believe than the new iPhone SE, which is sort mm-hmm. of based on the iPhone sort of seven slash eight design.
0: But so it has it's, a screen that goes all the way. So exactly. you're getting more for that size. Yeah.
2: You're getting more, you're getting a uh, considerably faster processor kind of across the board. Yeah. You're getting really full flagship performance out mm-hmm. of Maybe the most pocketable new iPhone we've seen in a really long time. I love
0: it. I am looking forward to buying that one for my wife soon because she's on Android and my my goal this year is to get her over to iOS eventually. I think a small premium iPhone is kind of the way to do it. So I, I'm looking forward to that. Any, do we know when is – that's shipping a little later, right? That's not until November.
2: I forget the exact date. But, yeah, it's yeah. going to be early November. It goes up for pre order. Then I believe uh, – <laughs> I, actually, I think they might have been – I think our pals might have been talking about it in the chat. So the mini won't be released until November 13th or so. Yeah. And I that believe that's right. the same time that the Max is coming out. So we're really seeing a, an interesting exercise in contrast here.
0: Seriously. And by the way, the Max, I didn't realize this during the launch event, but the Max is where the pro camera stuff gets better. The actual 12 Pro is not getting some of the best stuff that the Max is, oh, right? Can dude, you break
2: that down? absolutely not. The If you yeah, want a pro iPhone, like you really do have to wait for the Max. Hmm. Not only because we're expecting better battery life, just because you can squeeze a bigger battery into this display mm-hmm. or this body. But you've got, I believe how it breaks down is it's uh, the 12 megapixel the 12 megapixel wide angle sensor, the standard camera mm-hmm. uh, that is considerably, I think it's bigger. So you're able to capture more light and sort of uh, sort of get more data for the sensors and the computational photography stuff in the background to work mm-hmm. on. You get a slightly better telephoto range, which is nice. I, you it's get two like
0: and a half X, right? Yeah,
2: you get two X optical on the pros now, which is mm-hmm. nice. But like when you have, when you test as many devices as I do and you see a Samsung do like five X yeah. optical, no problem. Yeah. Like, yeah. is that a gimmick? Yes. Is it a useful <laughs> gimmick? Also, yes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also getting a new image stabilization system, steady I forget exactly what Apple calls something. it. But I'm very get- annoyed.
0: I'm annoyed that should be in the twelve pro. <laughs> the twelve pro Max, cause it looks like just like last year, that's a big it's a big chunky boy. It's a bigger screen, but also still like weighs half a pound. And I don't I don't want that in my pocket. It's too much.
2: Well, I would yeah. I would caution you to be like What's weird is that the gulf between the iPhone 12 and the sorry the iPhone 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max this year should be a little smaller, just because yeah, there's yeah. less stuff around the screen. So I'm expecting mm-hmm. a device that is not quite as big as the, 12, the 11 Pro Max that I used to use regularly. Sure. And I got to sure. say, the 6.1 inch display on the 12 and 12 Pro. That is that is a sweet spot. Like, if you're coming from the iPhone 11 Pro Max with that 5.8-inch mm-hmm. screen, this is going to feel big enough that you, <laughs> unless you really care about that camera, you're probably not going to sweat that screen at all. Sure, you're sure, sure, you're sure. right where you need to be.
0: So we haven't talked about the killer feature the thing. Apple kind of baked everything around is 5G, baby. And it's yeah. so... This is a weird year to be launching into five G, <laughs> but your thoughts on the performance area. It seems like they add this because they had to, and because so many other phones did, and because there are a lot of five G phones in China and elsewhere in the world, like Apple had to compete. Whereas what they did with LTE, if you if you remember right, is like the iPhone four S, that was the one where everybody was expecting them to add Lt was it? Yeah, it was the 4S. But it was still that was actually slightly faster HSPA. It was still exactly. slightly faster 3G. Mm-hmm. We didn't get LTE until the iPhone 5. And I think that delay was actually good because the LTE phones originally were bad, like the HTC oh. Thunderbolt and everything like they were Man. not good. They were chunky, <laughs> no battery life. It's, it's, the same situation seems like the case for 5G, but Apple ju- jumped right into it, which is surprising.
2: Yeah, I mean you're right. Historically, Apple has never really felt much of a need to dive right into this. I mean, like think about it: the original iPhone launched with uh, with Edge when when 3G was like (laughs) starting to become a thing. Like they probably could have made that work if they wanted to, and they were late to the LTE shift as well. And so, if you look at that track record, it's easy to surmise that Apple just like will will invest in something when it's ready. But I think this year, given all of the conversations, all of the hype for good or for bad, and given just the amount of of head start that Android phone manufacturers have had with 5G, yeah, it seemed really yeah. necessary to get something out this year, which is why they made the deal with the devil, Qualcomm, in this case, you know, to get those 5G modems running in their phones. Obviously, Apple would like to rely on outside vendors as little as possible, and we're fairly sure going forward that they're just going to have all of their own in-house modems baked into their iPhones. We're expecting mm-hmm. that shift to happen going into next year, so. It it seems like it's it, their backs were up against the wall. They needed five G stuff out there, if only yeah. because it would look bad if they didn't. So they <laughs> gave us five G. And you know sure. what? Five G is fine. Like this is not the first five G phone t- we've tested. We started trying out five G networks, I think, like last year. Yeah. in yeah. Chicago when Verizon launched five G millimeter wave there. Yeah. And full
0: disclosure, we're owned by Verizon. Yes, yada, yada yada. But yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. But the thing about five G is that depending on where you live, your experience will have, like, Devendra, I guarantee that if you lived back where you lived just a couple blocks away from me, we'd still have completely different coverage experiences. Like, it's so wild. And it really depends on who your carrier is, where you are. So, Uh, Verizon, we were given like a Verizon test line to like try out millimeter wave 5G on, which, if you're not aware, is like the fastest, most immediately impressive kind of 5G, -hmm. but it's extremely geographically limited. By which I mean, you have to be
0: looking at the 5G mm -hmm. antenna basically to get those speeds. Yeah. If
2: you're not on the right street corner, like, (laughs) good luck. So, I went to Bryant Park and I got 1.4 gigabits down, which is wild.
0: Okay. Okay. Like, uh, that's good.
2: It stinks a little just knowing that, like, my home <laughs> internet that I pay too much money a lot for. More, yeah. God. But the problem is some apps, some services aren't really optimized for it yet. Yeah. I tried downloading uh, some videos off of Netflix over 5G millimeter wave, which doesn't seem to, at least for now, uh, mm-hmm. we're testing this a little bit early, the Netflix iOS app doesn't seem to, like let you download it full speed, it's which is like not
0: locked and optimized in a certain way, just so it doesn't kill your bandwidth yeah. normally, but yeah,
2: which is definitely possible. And, mm-hmm. and to be completely fair, this is, is, we ran into this exact same issue when we tested Netflix yeah. on Android phones last year yeah. on 5g for the first time. Like they just, there are, there are limiters in place for, like, quality of life stuff, and they just, like, didn't take it off yet, which is totally yeah. fair. Other it, stuff, yeah, yeah. like the fact that iTunes still insists that you download over Wi-Fi, even though oh. this internet is nine oh. times nicer than my Wi-Fi. There's yeah. a, a lot of little smoothing that has to happen for it's a really new wave to work.
0: And my, my solution for that, by the way, is uh, try to connect another device to the 5G or something, which is harder with 5G. Man, but then yeah. hotspot
2: it, hotspot it to your phone. It's and 2020, then trick iTunes. man. I should it's not have to do that.
0: Yeah, it's too much. It's funny that Apple didn't even update its own stuff to really take advantage of this because those those limits have been in place forever, right? They've slightly made it bigger. They've allowed for bigger apps and some slightly bigger media, but... Not as much as like, oh, I can get whatever the heck I want, you know, wherever I am. Did you try Spotify, by the way? I seem to remember Oh,
2: I did, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I downloaded – so a couple things I tried in Spotify. I listened to a lot of podcasts. So an Mm hour-long podcast, which I think was about 60 megabytes or something like that, uh, downloaded in under a second. So you just tap it and it's done, which is kind of wild. Uh Uh, I I think I followed the the lo-fi chill study playlist, which is like six and a half hours of music. (laughs) Yeah. That took 45 seconds to download. So – I love it. There, are, there are situations like when people, when carriers talk about five G, they're like, yeah, you know, when you're on a plane getting ready to take off, like you can download everything you need to get before you even take off, which that's is true. Except that's, airports
0: are always the worst for reception too. Yeah, for like, one, good, like, airports That's never either. going to happen. Come
2: on. Uh, and and then also just like the nature of 5G is such that yeah. millimeter wave is just one part of one carrier's rollout. And the other carrier I tried was T-Mobile, and they seem to have the right. most comprehensive approach so far. So mm-hmm. they've got so sort sub of sub six low, everywhere. Right? Sub six everywhere. They I believe they have some millimeter wave spots sort of around, but they're really cagey about telling you where they are. Mm-hmm. Can but you for break the most down part, the
0: difference between sub six and millimeter wave just quickly? Because I know sure. Sher- Sherlyn has talked about this a lot, but just you know, as part of this conversation, can you what what, what, what what can we expect from these?
2: So, so 5G kind of boils down into two main flavors. Millimeter wave, which, as I've said, is much faster, but very, very geographically limited. Like You have to be more or less within line of sight of a millimeter wave node to really get that high performance. That's perhaps the more technically impressive right off the gate, but you're very unlikely to use that on a regular basis. You can't Mm -hmm. use it indoors. So like, (laughs) don't, don't pin too much of your hopes on that. You'll just sort of randomly find it and it's nice. And then you walk away and it's gone. Mm -hmm. The rest of the carriers are in the, the rest of the carriers in the U.S. rely more heavily on sub 6, 5G, which is just sort of slower. It's it's more or less comparable to LTE, generally a little faster. It's still sometimes, LTE, but it's like all 5G.
0: Over. 5G is just an evolution, It's an evolution of LTE, which is another evolution. But right, it's still basic LTE underlying everything, right?
2: It depends on the layout, or mm-hmm. it depends on the rollouts we're talking about. So for Verizon, for instance, uh, they went super heavy on millimeter wave. And then just recently, I think at the Apple event announced their nationwide 5G network was happening. T-Mobile, on the other hand, I think Uh handled this a little bit better. They went whole hog with their low band and mid band 5G, which basically just gets you much broader coverage. So you'll you'll Mm -hmm. maybe not see the biggest increase in speeds, but latency is generally a little better. You've got the extra sort of headroom for bandwidth there if you need it. Uh, Better for
0: rural areas too, right? Like coverage theoretically in other places in like America yeah
2: you you will see you know 5G logos on you know phones in places like Iowa for instance but like right. it's it's not going to make your coverage better right like the yeah. coverage is just sort of different and this is all pretty anecdotal because <laughs> i haven't gone to yeah. Iowa or Michigan or any of those sort of other places that have primarily low band 5G mm-hmm. It's it's nice to have, but in those cases, it's not a game changer. It might mm-hmm. become that over time, but right mm-hmm. now, you're still looking at you know a couple signal bars at best, whatever speeds you were kind of getting before. Not a huge difference.
0: I'm I'm looking forward to trying out, especially because I'm in Georgia now, and sometimes. If we go on a long road trip to the coast or something like to Savannah or other areas, you're you're driving through country highways, you're driving through areas without much normal LTE reception. So I I'd love to see if five G makes a difference there. Yeah,
2: what is your what is your sort of coverage situation now like?
0: Pretty good. I mean, I'm in a weirdly I'm in a suburb now that is basically a startup town. So. There, there are startups everywhere. Like, I can't escape them, and there's good LTE coverage. Oh, LT so you coverage. probably
2: got that good home internet, too, don't you?
0: I have, I have good home internet, so I have Gigabit now, which I'm very happy with. I have AT&T Gigabit, and uh, I just switched over from T-Mobile to Verizon LTE, and that's a whole long story, uh, but Verizon in general has been more reliable in Georgia, so I decided to make the switch. I checked our 5G coverage map, though. Really, only in downtown Atlanta, like, in some specific spots, like... Um, Georgia Tech and some other areas Mm -hmm. downtown that's the only place you can get millimeter wave and then again you have to be basically looking at the tower to really get those speeds everywhere else is just like nothing so that's what's really soured me on 5g a bit I think because yeah you if you're in Bryant Park great if you're spending the day working in Bryant Park you're gonna get these speeds create a hotspot share it with your friends you know that's not where we are most of the time. We're moving and out and about, and 5G well, is not keeping we, up with We were
2: center. moving, and we were yeah. out well, and about. We were so, moving. So, so in, in some mm-hmm. ways, if you think about it, the value of millimeter wave 5G is somewhat even reduced compared to that because we're just yeah. not spending as much time out in the world. We're going into winter now. COVID is a thing. You know, it's, it's going to be a while before anyone really kind of sees huge, huge practical benefits from 5G. But carriers had to lay the groundwork, and mm-hmm. phone makers had really no choice but to get <laughs> in on the wave.
0: Yeah. One more thing I want to ask you about. We're seeing high refresh rate screens on so many Android phones now. That to me is like the premium experience. Because if you see a high refresh rate screen, if you see something beyond 60 hertz, it looks like butter. It is silky smooth. And we spend so much time doom scrolling. I want my doom scrolling to look the best it can. (laughs) Come on. Uh, I'm not going to get that with the 12 Pro or the 12 Pro Max, which is kind of disappointing to me. What do you think?
2: Look, I really, really love these displays. I've been advocating them as soon as I saw the first one, which I, th- I think the yeah, first one yeah. I tried was like the Razer phone back in the day. Yeah. Um, but obviously Apple didn't do that here. Whether or not that's a deal breaker for you is, is up to you. I think th- – The challenge here is, you know, Apple had to integrate a 5G modem that they had not really worked with before. They had the A14 chipset, which is considerably more powerful, though also more power efficient. You've got screens kind of across the board that uh, are better than what you got out of the 11 series last year. So you know, there are a lot of concerns here that might make that impossible. That said, we we did know kind of going into this, like at least some of Apple's prototypes had support for 120 hertz refresh rate. So at some point along the line, it seems like they just decided something's got to give here. The easiest thing to not do is 120 hertz. It sucks. I don't know that I wouldn't not buy an iPhone 12 or 12 Pro because of that. But I mean, at the same time, a lot of people out there who have fairly recent phones. If you're an iPhone 11 or 11 Pro person, just don't, just wait. Whatever just happens wait, next year way. is going to be so much better. Than, like yeah. this, is, this is the first wave of a new era at Apple. And that's great. And I understand exactly why people would want to be on that wave because God knows I'm that kind of person too. <laughs> but practically speaking, and I'm all about practicality these days. If you have are an you? 11 Pro. Are you? Yes I, yes. I know you pretty well. Come on. Okay. I've, I've ch- I'm a changed man, Devinder Hardwar. There was are- one day
0: where I, I was sitting next to you and you bought like a MacBook Pro for no reason. You didn't That's not it. true. That's not
2: true. <laughs> yeah. I can test this. Yeah. Um, but point is, if you have an 11 or an 11 Pro, those phones are still so good yep. that you do not need to think about upgrading to this. 5GB damp. Like, get another year or two out of your 11 or 11 pro the 5g situation is going to be better you're going to feel more of what happens with the A 15 or whatever chipset Mm -hmm. is available when you do decide to upgrade you're in a good place and do not mess with that
0: would you expect a bigger redesign next year because this this is kind of a slight redesign we have the flatter edges we have slightly bigger displays i i try to wait for the big refresh cycles and this this right now is the biggest one we've had since the iPhone 10 launch, you know. But mm-hmm. we still have the the crazy like uh, front, uh, what call it, the front. Oh, notch. the notch. Yeah, we still have the notch. Yeah, we thought and those really got smaller relying too. on Face ID. We can't get rid of it. So I I want to get rid of the notch. Do you think that could happen next year, or is it going to be longer?
2: Look, man, it's possible. Like I, <laughs> I I cover Apple a lot. I have like no inside information as to what Apple does or does not do. But I will say that. We're, we're likely to see these designs stick around for a while. We're having these like flat Pro inspired designs, this kind of classic mm-hmm. iPhone five look. That's not going anywhere, I would imagine. So yeah, we will see Apple focus more on sort of the the sort of more subtle elements of that design, including the notch. The big rumor going into this was that the notch would be smaller. That really didn't happen this time. No, but
0: it, and the it, twelve, the twelve is really disappointing too because it's like the notch is still big. In, like it hasn't reduced itself proportionally yeah. to the size of the screen, so it's actually bigger on the twelve mm-hmm. mini than uh, on the twelve or the twelve pro.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's gonna mm-hmm. be that's mm-hmm. gonna turn some people off. But the way mm-hmm. I look at it, if you were like the kind of person who really cared about what the iPhone twelve mini brought to the table, like that's that's probably not gonna turn you off. Like you're you're probably like a weird small phone person, and yeah. that's just like something you live with. Um, yeah. Notches are interesting in that. <laughs> They're they're not they're objectively not good. Like no one would yeah. like to have a notch if they could avoid it. And they've it, had but, the
0: biggest notch for a long long oh, time. Oh yeah, Apple yeah. has
2: not cared about making that thing smaller. Yeah. But at the same time, like maybe maybe this is just because like I review the iPhones for Engadget. Like they just like I stopped noticing them like two years ago, sure, and I've just sure. like never picked up on them again. So same. Like, your mileage yeah. as like a regular consumer may completely vary, and that's cool.
0: If you're, if you're an Android head and you've been spoiled by, like, a nice tiny pinhole camera and everything, then, yeah, this is going to feel like a step back to you. But My11 Pro, I don't really – it's not a thing that bugs me, but I also don't sit back and watch a lot of video on my phone. I don't full screen a lot of stuff. Oh, really? Although – yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, what I do like now is the new – is the iOS 14, but the latest iOS where now you can basically just – flip up full screen video and turn it like into a little picture in picture window like that has been immensely useful for me but beyond that i don't really full screen video you know you got bigger screens for
2: that come on yeah like my galaxy z fold (laughs) 2 love that guy
0: (laughs) or uh the surface duo that i have sitting here hey tldr the uh is is the iphone 12 worth it to you because to me with the 11 pro it kind of isn't, but for my wife who is trying to get into iOS and wants a small phone, the 12 mini looks like it'll be pretty hot. What about your perspective?
2: So you and I are real specific edge cases, yeah. right? Like yeah. we love the good stuff. And in a situation like that, one might say, you know, the pros probably fine. I, I I'm again sort of pulling a number out of nowhere, but for like 90% of people, especially if you have not upgraded your phone in two or three years, which is so much more common than it used to be, people are just yeah, holding on to yeah. phones. The iPhone 12 is more than enough for you. It's more than Pro enough for you. It's hard to justify a situation in which the iPhone 12 Pro is worth the extra two to three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really, really care about the camera and sort of what Apple is going to do down the road. For for example, with its new Pro RAW format, that might be a reason. But if you're a camera person at all, I would I, I would say do not buy any one of these right now. Wait a <laughs> month until the iPhone 12 Pro Max comes out, and we get to see what that thing can do on the camera front. Sure. I'm super sure. excited to see where Apple went with that thing.
0: Excellent, thank you, V. Okay, enough about the iPhone. Let's talk about things that really matter in the world right now, which is the election that's two weeks away. And right now, everybody is doing their darndest to get people hyped up, get people... Well, it's probably too late to register, but get people to actually vote, which is uh, kind of the big thing. So one surprising thing we saw this week is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went on Twitch to play Among Us and... I thought this would just be kind of a fun, cool thing. She is so very good at social media. If you guys look at her, uh, when she sits down on Instagram Live or something and she just plops her phone down in her kitchen while she's making food and just wants to discuss policy, it's really fascinating to see those numbers, the viewers go up really quickly. So clearly, like I think as a politician, as a young politician, she has a very good command of social communication. Twitch and Among Us seems like a perfectly... (laughs) It's a funny way to kind of bring out the vote because it's a game that's all about uh, there's a lot of voting. You do a lot of voting in that game to figure out who the, uh, you know, it's a game where you're a bunch of characters on a spaceship. It's basically alien, right? Alien meets the thing where you're a bunch of characters. One of the people is an imposter that's, you know, disabling the ship and killing off people. And it's a social game where you have to basically pretend you have to hide yourself if you are the imposter or you have to try to figure out who it is. Um, it's a great party game. And it was really fun to see her join up with uh, Ilan Omar, some top Twitch streamers like Pokimane. This feels like the future of political communication in a way, right? It's not just people on you know a telethon somewhere saying, please vote very earnestly. It is people geeking out and doing weird stuff on a Twitch stream uh, while also trying to get rally people up to consider the power they have to participate in democracy uh ben b did you guys see any of this Do you have any thoughts of this uh this this whole stream i watched a bunch of it i found it really entertaining but also like very educational and useful too
2: yeah i was gonna say i'm pretty sure i only found out about this after it happened because i'm an extremely not online online person wow i'm very uh, surprised uh, yeah i can count on like one hand the number of times i've like watched a twitch stream all the way through like i don't know it's just like not the way i've been like programmed to get my entertainment
0: no I, i hear you and i never watch a twitch stream all the way through it's like a thing you pop in or leave on the background because very i feel like very few people are sitting there focused on the stream like we used to be with tv shows and movies right
2: yeah. And that's like very much mm-hmm. the frame of mind that I, I came yeah. from. So, so I, so I missed this point is, and just sort of going, going through the conversations that were sort of had after the fact, you like you, one, one did kind of get a sense of the appreciation that AOC and Alan Omar were able to tap into a group of people who normally, I mean, young people are, I don't have stats to back this up, but I, I think sort of anecdotally, it seems that younger generations are less inclined to vote. There's a there's yep. a tendency to become disillusioned with politics or to think that it does not matter to your life as a young person. So having two people with, in very prominent positions in Congress, just being able to get out there and talk to you in a way that sort of makes Where sense. Where you are. Yeah. That you find enter, that you find entertaining, maybe more than anything. Like it humanizes politics in a way that I don't think a lot of other things can.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree so much with what you said, V. Um I think that it was an incredibly effective bit of political communication. Probably the most effective thing that I've seen sure. in a while, <laughs> like a period of years. <laughs> um what I saw in general was people who were low engage- engagement being more engaged. The even people who were high highly engaged were like, "Okay, this is awesome." Like there was very little like absolute bile toward them it was all like oh this is pretty cool that this happened mm-hmm. really if you're looking for any kind of like people bad-mouthing them you have to go like down partisan lines
0: <laughs> and also you know what happened this week i also saw the west wing reunion on hbo max which is oh
1: man oh
2: man
0: a whole different generation you're targeting of like get out the vote is <laughs> the people who love the west wing 20 years ago and it's like man it's really great to see martin sheen back yeah as President it's, it's targeting
2: the parents of it's the people whole who would watch gen- as play hey,
0: This is how you do it. You get you get the nostalgia hit for the older audience and then you get like the kids and what the kids are into. And I feel like this two pronged approach is pretty (laughs) smart and pretty great. And the stream, too, is just it's entertaining. It's not just people begging you to vote. It is it's watching AOC in her first uh, her first match. She's like, I hope it's not too bad. She was the imposter. So she did not want to be. She talked about, like, the fact that she's not a very good liar. Uh, I believe she murdered somebody, then immediately reported herself. And it was, just all,
1: it was all a big thing. Uh, but yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, I can't kill Pokey. She's so nice. <laughs> stab, like, stab, stab, it, stab, stab. Yeah, it, it, I think one of the things that made it most effective was the fact that uh, both AOC and Ilhan Omar were really, like, they weren't trying to front as like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to be great at this or, you know, whatever. This is not the the Conan O'Brien,
0: let's play video games (laughs) thing, right? It is people actually playing a game and being engaged in it. Yeah,
1: yeah. and but also seeing them maybe be a little bit confused Mm -hmm. and a little bit hapless um one of my favorite things was like the the little things that AOC said kind of to herself kind of just to the stream where she's like you know I can't believe that like we've got this like advanced spaceship but it still runs on fossil fuels (laughs) like wow great job like that's just a fun thing for anyone to say on a stream but also like Always be on message. Be on message.
0: Also, they spent like 10 minutes, I think, setting up audio settings, which is what you'll do for every oh, every so goddamn real. stream. It's too real.
1: That's honestly why we're doing this yeah. stream, to, to let people see how silly it is sometimes <laughs> it's also to get silly. this um, thing going.
0: Another thing I liked is uh, Illa Nomar. She was not like as featured in the stream because it was an AOC stream, but she did post her rig. And I just want to talk about that. And first of all, I love to see, this isn't an, just another form of engagement, right? It's, a, it's sort of like saying, hey, look at, I, I am a nerd enough to have a system that's like this with an Intel Core i7 10700K CPU. That's a hot chip. Uh, a Zotac RTX 2060 Super, pretty good. I do feel like, I do feel like for a lot of people, the 2070, you will get more mileage out of that or the 3070 now, mm-hmm. um, that that's always a good mid-range card. But hey, 2060 Super, um, if you're not playing heavy-duty games, that's that, it's hard to go wrong with that. She has 32 gigabytes of uh, Trident Z RGB RAM. I have that one, too, actually. I have four sticks in my system, and they all kind of like in sync uh, change color, which mm. is just so unnecessary but also so beautiful so if you look in the screenshot of her photo or of her rig you can see the lit up ram she has a samsung 970 evo one terabyte ssd I actually just picked that up too they list six terabytes of F- ssd storage and this is where this is where i feel like we need some political investigative journalism because <laughs> that seems that seems a lot and that seems like a little too much and kind of hard hard like it would cost a lot like i just spent um i spent 200 bucks to get one terabyte of NVMe storage. And that's about what you'd pay for to get that amount. Like if it's actually SSD, you could probably put together like two and a half inch, slightly slower uh, SATA SSDs, right? And, Combine those as like a single SSD thing. I think this is actually just a hard drive. So somebody mistyped. I here. just crunched the, m- yeah. the
1: numbers on this. Uh, six terabytes of SSD storage would be like in the high five hundreds, maybe six hundreds, depending, depending on whether on or not you want. What kind wanna... of SSD too?
0: Like because NVMe is a little. What six. kind of SSD? Yeah. And I'm
1: even talking about like sales yeah, tax. Yeah. 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 Like, it, that would be an enormous amount That's of money. It's not even that much
0: compared to what SSD used to cost. But, hey, anyway, um, Corsair, uh, she was a H100. Uh, I believe that is her power supply in an NZXT H510i case. So, like, it's a cool-looking system. But I also sort of love that she is a notable politician right now who's just like, here, look at my specs. Deal with it. Um, kind of hot. I just – I dig that a lot. Uh, anything else you guys want to add around this news?
2: What what politician do you think would be Team AMD? Because I am an A, I'm an AMD guy. I've not got the best system in uh-huh. the world, but I've got like a solid like Ryzen seven three thousand seven hundred
0: X. Like a very specific kind of technocrat would be <laughs> AMD, like, like a like, Pete Buttigieg, like a PDP.
1: He'd <laughs> yeah. be like, um, "Listen, my
0: multi-core performance is so much better than yours, Elon Omar."
1: Wait, yeah, no, but that's yeah. that is yeah. so Andrew Yang. It is very that's Andrew Yang. Not- that's an yeah. Andrew okay. Yang move. Yeah,
0: and he'd be like, "Listen, if you can survive in a thousand dollars a month, uh, listen, the AMD is certainly better. You need these specs, just like you need." Uh, an easy 1000 bucks a month. I don't know. If you missed out on this stream, by the way, go check out uh, the Washington Post, put up a great uh, edit of the best moments from this, this Among Us stream. So go check that out. You can actually just still go watch the whole stream on uh, on AOC's uh, Twitch channel too. So that's all, it's all great. Go check it out and um, let us know what you think at podcastandgadget.com. So some breaking news as we were putting the show together, Uh, there was a report from the Wall Street Journal that (laughs) Quibi, the wonderful short-form mobile video service, um, would be shutting down. Late last night before we recorded, Quibi confirmed it. Jeffrey Katzenberg confirmed he Hmm. is in the process of shutting down the company. So... Let's just talk a bit about this because I feel like we we've devoted some time to Quibi. Uh, go back and check out my review of Quibi when it launched in April, I believe it was. The title was like, "Yeah, um, stop trying to make Quibi happen," because <laughs> it was it was a weird mobile video service, guys. And now I can talk about it in the past tense, so I feel it feels even better to me. But we talked to them at CES. We have a lot of coverage around Quibi. Their core technology was this thing where you could watch a video in portrait mode turn to landscape mode and still like the video would be optimized for both ways. So they were actually sending you both video streams and they had a lot of good short form content too. That was like five to 10 minutes long. They poured a lot of money into it. Um, They raised around $1.7 billion. And I think we're in the process of getting even more. So nearly $2 billion Mm -hmm. worth of actual money was pumped into this crappy video startup in an age where, (laughs) Countless people are unemployed. Um, <laughs> our economy has collapsed. Like uh, Quibi just seemed like maybe it was unfair to target it as much as we did, but I don't think it was a good service. I think most of the content was not great. And I think Jeffrey Katzenberg's bet on, hey, I, I only want to watch video on my phone and I want people to pay for it. And it's going to be a quick bite. So that's what Quibi stands for. So you can consume it easily. Um, I don't think any of those calculations actually rang true. And actually... I brought that up to him and CEO Meg Whitman directly at CS and they were like, um, they kind of skated over my question of like, why the hell does this exist? And we're just like, we think this will be a third thing people will pay for alongside Netflix and their cable (laughs) subscriptions and everything. And I was just completely incredulous. So in the shutdown confirmation, Katzenberg basically admitted they just couldn't make this concept work. Almost like something a lot of us were saying. Thoughts on Quibi, everybody.
2: I'm curious, Dev. I want I want your take Mm -hmm. on sort of what you think really killed Quibi. Was it a bad idea combined with bad execution, or did the coronavirus play a significant role in this? Because you think think, about it, like they want you to use Quibi like standing in lines when you're waiting Mm -hmm. to get into a movie or whatever, like these very quick hit scenarios that just like don't exist anymore. Sure, sure. So what do you think so, is more worthy of blame? Quibi
0: launched in early April, right, which was at the point where we were already in lockdown. We were already like getting used to our new pandemic reality and Quibi was just not built for that world, I guess. But I don't think that was the thing that killed it. I think fundamentally it's a flawed concept. Um specifically, I don't think people this is a thing where I think media titans, especially people like Katzenberg who've been in the Hollywood industry for so so long and have made billions of dollars, you know, for several companies, they think their ideas, everything they think is gold. Um, In this case, they were trying to push consumers and push user habits into a thing where I don't think people actually, I don't think it's actually the the way people live and work and enjoy their content. I don't think we were walking around, even if there was no pandemic, I don't think you'd be waiting in line, just popping up a video to watch an episode of something uh, or if you were on the train or something like, I don't think that's not the way we live and that's not the way a lot of people enjoy video. Maybe some people would do that, but it's not like a dedicated thing. The worst part is Quibi bet it all on uh, mobile. They had no way to pipe it to your TV or they had no way to like share it and enjoy it with other people. So both of those things also killed it too, right? Like they eventually added Chromecast support, but that wasn't there at launch. They eventually added, you know, um, the ability for more people to see what you're doing. But it was all – I remember just trying to watch an episode of one of the dumb Quibi shows with my wife and we had to crowd around my phone. And our you know our 55-inch OLED was sitting right in front of us just going unused. Like it just seemed fundamentally dumb. And I think my big takeaway from all this, I don't think mobile video as a concept should exist. And we've seen so many companies try – hey, Verizon tried it. With oh, the yeah. Go 90, cool. <laughs> everybody. Oh um, Quibi is yet another like play at this. We I think we want content that adapts to us, and I think forcing your audience to adapt to content is a mistake people keep making over and over and over again. So the flexibility of podcasts or YouTube or even where. Right now, you can watch YouTube on your phone. It'll sync to your account. You can keep watching at home. If you have YouTube Premium, you can actually download specific videos to your devices, which is super useful for me on car rides so my daughter can see Peppa Pig wherever she is. Um, That flexibility is where we're at. Netflix, Hulu, everybody's offering offline downloads now. You can watch that stuff on TVs, on multiple devices. We want flexibility. We want convenience. That's what consumers have always wanted. And this is the history of media, by the way. Like Betamax was a better format than VHS. The video looked better, and TV stations for years relied on Betamax for um, for archival video. But to bring it home, it was too expensive. It was too clunky. So VHS ended up winning out. Um, what's another one? Um, HD DVD and Blu-ray were kind of like fighting neck and neck. And I think in many ways HD DVD was better. But Blu-ray had a bigger push from Sony. It had like more of an industry push. And eventually, like they just made that work better too. So HD DVD died off. That was probably, I guess, another thing because that wasn't just convenience. But it's a, it's the iPod thing. It's how the iPod killed portable CD players and portable music players. It is convenience trumps quality. And that's the thing we got to realize. And Quibi just seemed like a weird play that didn't fit into anybody's life, really, even without the pandemic. <laughs>
2: Two things I want to jump in with. One, if yeah. you look at the history of media format wars and sort of what wins and what doesn't, Sony is on the losing end of those so many times. It's really quite sad. I was it's, just thinking it's, about it. It's kind of funny disc. too,
0: by the way, because 4K Blu-ray is another one. And I will never stop bringing up the fact that the PlayStation 4 Pro has no 4K Blu-ray player, even though that's something the Xbox One S and the Xbox One X launched with. So mm. Sony can't even support its own stuff. But go ahead, B.
2: Yeah, no, uh, I was just casting my mind back to mini-disc versus cassette because, like, recording yep, quality, yep. mini-disc, clear winner. But, like, they were just expensive and sort of cool oh, and niche, oh, and no man. one really bought them. But anyway, the <laughs> other thing is, like, I I don't think the Quibi idea was necessarily terrible. Even now, I still think the idea of having a video or two video streams that sort sure. of are optimized for however you happen to be holding your device is a cool idea. But yep. None of that matters when the content was terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what was what was the runaway hit on Quibi? If anything, the Titus Burgess no. show, where they blew up food and made people try to recreate it think, based on uh, tasting. There was it? no
0: runaway hit, and the the only mm-hmm. the thing is like there there was no way to make a runaway hit because you couldn't share stuff and content easily. So like the one thing that became viral was the like Sam Raimi short about the woman with the golden arm. Bury which, me with
2: my golden arm.
0: <laughs> yeah that that became that became a meme, but also people were make, f- making fun of it for the wrong reason because it's Sam freaking Raimi making something campy, but they're like, look at how terrible this, uh, this Quibi show is. And that's, that's unfair to Sam Raimi and to the content, but it's the fact that we the blood was in the water for Quibi, mm-hmm. right? Nobody could take it seriously. So this one thing that went viral, of course, it went viral negatively. It's No surprise there.
2: I will say it does feel a little bittersweet to have Quibi go south on us now, as I've just yep. started testing the LG wing, the only phone that Quibi <laughs> makes sense on. <laughs> for those unaware, it's the phone with sort of a, you know, you pull out of the box and it's a really looking smartphone. But then you flip the screen so it rotates 90 degrees. So it is literally the only phone that is completely and perfectly optimized for Quibi use. I tried it yesterday. I paid five bucks to Quibi just as like a send-off yeah. gift. And uh, it works great. But God, God bless them that content is bad. Ugh. Were you able
1: to see both
2: feeds at once? Not at once, but like... It just it it switches very nicely when you sort of swivel the screen.
0: The switch is basically it assumes you're turning the device. So yeah, exactly. Quibi works it's purely mechanical. It. Yeah, uh, Verizon missed out because that was the Go 90 phone. You know, oh man, the, that's what Go 90 meant. Everybody, Go 90 meant you turned your phone 90 degrees. Um. Anyway, one thing I've heard from a lot of people is that they assumed that Quibi was basically a play for Jeffrey Katzenberg to. Generate a lot of content, you know, get a lot of funding because that's what he's very good at. And Hollywood is thirsty, completely thirsty. They want this new media thing. They want to get in on the next YouTube or something or the next Netflix. So they poured a VCs poured a ton of money into this company. Production companies like came up around it. And I don't blame people for trying to get that quibby money and trying to make their shows because there are a lot of good show ideas I think ended up here. But it seemed like as a service was just a play for Katzenberg to eventually sell to Disney or to somebody else. And I want to throw a shout out to one thing. If you like the concept of mobile video, I wrote up something several months ago called What If I? One word. What if I? It's choose your own adventure uh, mobile video. I feel like that was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed watching those things because it's basically a choose your own adventure book in mobile video form. So in key points of those movies, you're making choices. You have multiple endings to go through. There's like a a map. Once you complete a session, there's a map of like which ending you got to and how you can get to different sections. Uh, That's fun and interactive and mobile. And at that point, I didn't care. That i couldn't easily push it to my tv so i don't think mobile video is dead but it's not gonna look like quibi it's not gonna look like go 90 it's probably gonna look a little more like something like what if i that's free right now i think for testing um on iphone you can try it out so that's pretty cool so long quibi i don't think we'll miss you but i will miss making fun of you all right let's move on to what we've been working on um I'm, I'm testing out a microphone that I can't really talk about but you'll learn more about that next week I'm also doing lots of logistics prep just as I like prepare for I don't know reviewing the Xbox series X and the PlayStation 5 uh, which will probably be incoming soon those things are being released you know in early mid-november so two days across from each other so Woof. it's gonna be a crazy next couple of weeks we are gonna be all in on testing these new consoles. Um, Be sure to check out our previews. Jess Condit has done some great previews of the Xbox Series X. I'm personally interested in seeing where the Series S lines up, just because that's a cool, that's an interesting device. It's really cheap and really fascinating with Xbox Game Pass and everything. V, what are your next-gen console plans?
2: I, you know what? It's a question of proper allocation of resources because i feel like i could yeah, spend the money yeah. for a ps5 which is i think i would gravitate towards sure or i could just like put that towards trying to find a 3080 or a 3070 and just like really going mm-hmm. all in on making but my rig need, as you, good as it could be
0: that's a much much bigger thing because then yeah if you're putting the 3080 into a rig then your your build is all of a sudden like upward nearly two thousand bucks you know if you go yeah. all in with everything else so i feel like that's the thing and a lot of people are have to are gonna have to think about like do you want a new console or do you want to like beef up a PC, they're still very big uh, price gaps, but the performance gap between them is kind of being erased eventually. So mm-hmm. it'll be exciting. New console time is always a really interesting time of year. Um, v, what are you working on?
2: I, so... <laughs> Whenever I do reviews, I tend to let my life fall into shambles, and I did the Pixel 5 and then moved directly into the iPhones. So my apartment <laughs> is a disaster. So priority number one is doing yeah. my dishes and just cleaning everything. But once I'm done that, I'll be working on my review of the LG Wing, the perfect Quibi phone, which I'm going to make tons of jokes about, and mm-hmm. just make sure that LG and this phone get the attention that it deserves, because God bless them, this phone is kind of ridiculous in a fun way. Yeah.
0: I feel like we say this about every single LG mm -hmm. phone. Like every year it's like, what fresh hell is this? It's a LG. Did you just put a second phone, a second screen on another side of a case and you're calling it a dual screen phone? Okay, LG, fine.
2: Respect Respect to them though. They've got this whole initiative <laughs> called the Explorer Project. And they have told yeah. me point blank, even if the LG wing effing fails, even if <laughs> no one buys it, they're still committed yeah. to the idea of just like trying new interesting things and seeing if sure. they can make money out of them. That's not a level of experimentation that you're going to see from a lot of smartphone makers. So I have to hand mm-hmm, it to them for mm-hmm.
0: that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Okay. Well, looking forward to that. Be sure to check out Chris's reviews of the iPhone 12 and the 12 Pro and I'm sure more will be coming um yeah this guy you need a break too like now that yeah. Trillin has taken her break so B needs we've, his vacation yeah
2: we've timed it out she goes and then I'll go at some point
0: <laughs> All right let's move on to our pop culture picks for this week uh, I just want to shout out to Gangs of London on AMC Plus which is a new show by Gareth Evans the director of a couple cool movies called The Raid and The Raid 2 Redemption. Uh, this is him. What's really funny about this guy as a director is that he is a he's a British guy who went to Indonesia to start making martial arts movies. And now he <laughs> basically came back to to the UK to do this series. Uh it, it's a typical like crime family drama thing. It's kind of like succession in a way, actually. Another show I love. But what's great about it is that. This guy knows how to shoot fight scenes. So you will see some of the most brutal action sequences and choreography uh, that you've ever seen on TV and certainly more so than most movies in this show. Uh, There's one fight scene where a guy basically takes out like 10 people with a a throwing dart from a bar. Just, like, really using that, bar, that dart in, like, a really fun, fun way. And if you like to see bones crunching on the edges of tables, if you want to see, like, all sorts of fun stuff like that, I always love Gareth Evans' movies because of that. Um, So be sure to check this out. The the problem with Gangs of London, by the way, is that it requires yet another streaming service called AMC+. Plus. And I, I basically... I, I did the Homer Simpson thing where uh, there's a scene where he just like opens an email and just goes like he's about to say, you know, a swear word because I, nobody needs another streaming service. <laughs> I didn't realize I thought this was just coming to AMC. No, you need to subscribe to AMC plus and you could do that through the Apple TV thing or through Amazon or whatever. It's actually not in a separate app right now. Um it just really annoys me because I was already paying for Sling TV. I got AMC on that. I don't know why I had to pay for something else for more AMC. I don't think anybody's going to watch the show because of what they did with it. But hey, eventually when it heads to Amazon Prime or Netflix or something, like, maybe it's a thing people will watch. Uh, but yeah, it's really cool. If you dug the Raid movies, I think you'd probably enjoy this. V, what do you want to shout out this week?
2: I have been, so as many, many local news anchors have insisted to us for the past few weeks, it is spooky season. Spooky. Halloween, Halloween is nearly upon us, and therefore uh-huh. spooky season. So I felt after writing my iPhone reviews and just being a little brain dead for a while, I needed something kind of scary to kind of jolt me back into life mm. again. So I landed on House, uh, a 1977 film directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. It's a criteria House. 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 Yes, house. <laughs> yes, so you know what I'm talking about. I know so what you're it's, talking uh, about. Yeah. So it's it's available on HBO Max. Uh, it is a real fever dream of a movie. Long story yep. short, there's like seven girls who, <laughs> long story short, go to one of the girls' aunt's house for like a little summer break to have a good time, and it turns out the house is demonic, and there's like an evil cat involved, and the house eats people, Love it. and Love it, it just. Like some of the stylistic choices, like I, I'm not nearly as big a movie person as Javendra, but like sitting Mm -hmm. down and watching the first few minutes of this film, which are just completely bad. I don't know if you were mentally
0: prepared for this movie, (laughs) but
2: (laughs) I was like, Oh, I've heard of this. I should watch this. I'll finally get down to it. And Oh my God, none of it was what I was expecting it to be. It's very poppy and stylish in a way that I didn't expect. But then also just like (laughs) veers into total hallucination territory. It's wild and it's a lot of fun.
0: I love hallucination horror. Um, it's a movie I enjoy more than like the original Suspiria, which I know there are a lot of Dario Argento fans out there, but I find Suspiria kind of boring. House is a blast and kind of fun. <laughs> so anyway, if you want more chill horror stuff, be uh, I recommended The Haunting of Bly Manor a couple weeks ago, Ooh, okay. which Sherlin was super into. If you want a show that will both kind of scare you and also break your heart, that is so good. So Haunting of Bly Manor, everybody, celebrate Halloween with that too. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find me online at at Devendra on Twitter. I podcast about movies and TV at the slash filmcast slash film.com. Check out my Legend of Korra podcast, Republic City Dispatch. Just Google that. Uh, it was really great to bring back that crew. Um, podcasting all the shows, all the movies.
2: And uh, V, where can we find you online? If you want to reach out, I am Chris Velasco on Twitter. Or, and I get flack for this every time, you can email me at V at Engadget.com.
0: Why would you do this? But okay
2: yeah good stuff people are people are pretty chill about it you can email us at the
0: podcast at podcast and uh and we did actually get a couple of emails i didn't get to this week but thank you for everybody who's been chiming in we'll try to bring up some emails um you know during the show if you communicate with us so you know, do that please leave us a review on itunes and subscribe to us on anything that gets podcasts including spotify